Welcome to the Inspired Women Podcast. I'm your host, Megan Hall, psychology student, wife, and mama four. On this podcast, I share helpful life tips and stories from inspirational women. Warning, sometimes we chat about taboo topics and drop some F-bombs. Thank you for tuning in with me today. Enjoy the episode. Hey everyone, today I'm here with Tabitha, Tabitha Bartley enlisted into the Marine Corps in 2010. Uh, She was first stationed at Marine Corps base in Quantico, where she served as a staff writer for the Quantico Century before assuming the role as assistant director to the base community relations program. In that role, she also served as a volunteer coordinator for the base and the Toys for Tots campaign. In 2014, Tabitha moved to Marine Corps Recruiting Station in Columbia, South Carolina to serve as the Marketing and Public Affairs Director for the RS. In this role, she handled all marketing, public relations, community relations, media relations, and advised the uh, commanding officer. Tabitha also served as the Uniformed Sexual Assault Victim Advocate. Uh, We have something similar in the Navy. Um, so my husband served that role, uh, quite a few years ago. So he said it was an experience. He had, uh, a couple cases that were very disturbing to him. So it, it was definitely, definitely took, uh, it takes a strong person to do something like that. Um, so Tabitha had multiple, multiple surgeries during her eight years in the Marine Corps and was injured before leaving the Marine Corps in two or 2018, her struggles to receive care for injuries and both mental and physical is what led her to running for Indiana state Senate in 2020. She was the first openly disabled female Marine to run for office in Indiana, as well as the first pregnant woman to run for state Senate in, in Indiana. Well, Tabitha, thank you so much for coming on the podcast. Thank you for having me. Uh, I was looking for someone to uh, have on the podcast that has run for political office and uh, a previous podcast guest, Amanda Huffman, uh, suggested that I connect with you. So I will link her uh, her um, story up in the show notes so people can listen. Tell us about your journey with politics. Like I, I, I started getting more interested in politics four years ago. I'm sure anyone who has listened to the podcast can, uh, understand why. (laughs) (laughs) Um, and so ever since I've been really, you know, digging in and before that I was like, you know, whatever, I don't care. But when I felt like the world's in the United States was imploding. I got more interested in like, what's going on? What are the roles of these people? How is this um, impacting me? I'm especially interested. I live in Connecticut now. So I follow my representatives online. I want to know what are they up to? What are, you know, what are my senators? What do they stand for? Our Senator Chris Murphy is very much into um, military. Like he wants to know, like, foreign policy, like he's interested in that. I believe he's on the the foreign um, affairs committee in the Senate, um, but I follow him. He He's great. I'm like, well, I will be reelecting you. Thank you very much. 
So I've been really interested. And as I was telling you before we got started, uh, Twitter is my politics uh, domain (laughs) because so many people on Facebook were getting sick of me posting about politics all the time that I now like try to just carefully post on Facebook about politics and Twitter. I'm just like ranting. (laughs) So anyways, long story short, um, tell us about your journey. So I never had any aspirations or any desires to be in politics. Um, I think I was kind of my personality. I never, never saw that being what I was going to do. However, uh, my transition out of the Marine Corps was extremely rough. I was told four days before my end of service that I was not going to be medically held. I had multiple organ prolapses and I reached out to my elected officials and they all essentially said it wasn't their issue. There was nothing they could do. I tried to put it in a congressional inquiry because that was all that could be done. That was the only action that could be taken. And so essentially I left the Marine Corps with these disabilities where I couldn't stand for more than 20 minutes. Um, My husband was a stay at home dad after he got out of the Navy so that I could stay in the Marine Corps. And it was this transition of moving back to Indiana and trying to find a job and trying to find care. And in that journey, I knew that I didn't want anybody to go through what I went through. There was one day specifically where I work at Purdue University and I was sitting in a gravel parking lot looking at the ROTC building and fighting the VA, fighting for care. And I had a conversation that was not pleasant about how women's care isn't specialty care and I shouldn't have to fight so hard to be seen. And in that moment, I I don't like to say I was suicidal, but I understood how a veteran could come to the point of committing suicide and how they could get to that point in the transition. And I kind of took a step back and I had a great support system. And in my journey of finally getting the help I needed um, mentally and physically, I didn't want anybody to go through what I went through. So I started an organization for women veterans and just started to get more involved in my community to see how I could support veterans. And that ended up talking about that. I was on another podcast with another female veteran who at the end of it was like, you ever considered running for office? And I said, oh, oh no. Um, my name was Blunt Bartley in the Marine Corps. I'm, I'm, not, I'm not the person like, <laughs> that's, no, like no way. And she was like, well, I get that. But she's like, don't you think that's what we need? And I was like, well, mm-hmm. yeah, but not by me, like, no. And I, you know, hung up the phone and she was like, well, okay, there's an organization. I just want you to do a little research on 25 women for 2020. And just think about it. And so I had a 45 minute drive home and I'm driving and I'm just like, why would God put like all of these things? Like why? Right. And so I just took that as a sign and went home and talked to my husband and it was just like, maybe I'm supposed to do this. Why would this be brought up? It's so random. It's not something I ever thought about doing. And so I just kind of took the messages that were being presented to me as, okay, this is the action I need to take, or at least the path I need to explore to make a bigger impact and to do more. And so I, the next day had to file by noon. um, And it's actually, it was a year ago yesterday and filed to run for state Senate in district seven. Yeah. So my question is, and you know what it, it, 
being affiliated with the, the military community, I understand how poorly our veterans are treated, especially women veterans, because it feels like it's even less of a quality of care, right? And people overlook it, right? I have a lot of friends who served in the military and, they'll, and their, their spouses did too. And they said they'll go someplace public and people will ask like, oh, what do you do? Um, and do you have any kids? And she'd be like, oh, I served in the military. And they just automatically turn to their spouse and be like, oh, what was your service like? Instead of being like, no, no, I'm, I'm actually a badass. <laughs> I some things here. Um, you know, so I feel like a lot of times that women aren't taken seriously, even though there are so many women that serve in the armed forces right now. Um, and it just becomes more and more and more. Uh, so yes, thank you for your service. I am so sorry you're dealing with that because it's just wild that people can lose, lose their lives for this country, but they get out and they're just kind of like shoved to the side, you know, like, yeah. sorry about that. Sorry, we messed you up, but <laughs> you know? yeah. And, and I loved my time in the Marine Corps and I've always been a, I like to change the perception of what is, and I am a huge advocate for women in the military. However, that doesn't mean that there aren't things that need to be changed or things that need to be fixed. Um, and since I'm no longer in, I wanted to take the approach of focusing more on the veterans, but then that led to, there's so much in my community that I felt like I could make an impact on. Mm -hmm. And I feel like we don't need any more politicians in politics we need actual leaders and people who know how to solve problems. And yeah. there's a lot of issues in Indiana that are personal, very personal to me. And I think there's pretty easy solutions that we can start getting ahead. So that's why I ended up running. Right. Um, recently, so my husband served in the submarine force and a couple of years ago, they decided women were going to now join the submarine force. And that had so much pushback. And ironically, not from him, but ironically from spouses, like wives who were concerned about women being on these submarines that were like, my spouse might cheat on me. I'm like, well, if he's going to cheat on you, he's going to do that when they pull into port where all the <laughs> prostitutes are, but whatever. Sure. You tell yourself that. But there was so much sexism and misogyny when it came to this. And I was blown away that it wasn't necessarily coming from the men, but it was coming from their spouses and from women. And I was just like, whoa, what happened to the equality here? Like what happened to women can do what men can do? Why are y'all pushing back? So it's just wild that it's not just men that are, are making these bad decisions and, and are pushing back against women in the military. I just wanted to add that in there um, because I'm just like, this is, this is a wild ride here. Um, well, so I think oh, go ahead. for me, for me personally, I don't know if you've experienced, I experienced way more, like my gender matter, mattered way more as a veteran and a civilian to other civilians than it ever did as a Marine. I mean, male Marines didn't care about my gender. And then I get out and every VA appointment, there's a comment about my gender every time you like you said it's it's your husband who's the marine and my husband always laughs like no i was i was a corpsman my wife is the marine um and so that was interesting i didn't expect so much pushback from civilians who didn't even understand the military at all to then question a female and what a female did or didn't do which is mind-boggling to me yeah i didn't serve in the military 
I have friends who have okay, um, sorry. my, my, it's okay. My spouse did. I'm like, I don't want to take credit for things I didn't do. Um, but I, I, I see it. I, I see it from like a spouse perspective. Um, and I agree knowing, uh, female veterans and knowing what they've gone through. Cause like I said, I have quite a few friends who served in the military that it, to my, to my spouse, whatever he hasn't really served much with women but to him it's just another sailor right like he's you know he's just because he hasn't been on a submarine with women doesn't mean in other roles he hasn't had women that um he's interacted with and to him it's just another sailor it's not like this is a female sailor it's a sailor um and i feel like you're right when it comes out in the civilian world people are not familiar at all with how the military works they have no clue whatsoever. Sometimes I try to talk to civilians about what it was like for the Navy and in that experience and they're clueless. And they're like, don't they make a lot of money? No, they don't make a lot of money. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> I get that. Don't they make a lot of money or they get like, you knew what you, you signed up for? No, nobody knows what they signed up for. Like my spouse had been in uh what seven years by the time we got married um and he tried to prep me right he tried to be like these are the things that's gonna happen and nobody knew he didn't know what it would be like even though he was a navy brat what it would be like to be a dad and serve in the military there's nothing that prepares you for what military life is like and i think civilians think like there's this handbook that's like yep (laughs) here's how it's all gonna be well no (laughs) so yeah it's 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 wild um what made you decide to serve as a democrat and not a republican so for me um calls me a hybrid so sorry for me my husband calls me a hybrid it was very much the issues and i wanted to get back to talking about the issues and i wanted to run at a state level because that's where i felt my leadership skills and assets worked best those were the issues that i felt like i had actual solutions for and kind of and so i don't know how familiar you are with indiana but indiana has been failing hoosiers for a lot of years specifically when it comes to our infant and maternal mortality rate um, our public education i'm a mom i have kids who go to school i went to public school and, and veterans, honestly, they've been failing, failing that. And we have a super majority of Republicans. And so for me, looking specifically at Indiana and the things that needed to be passed and hadn't been passed previously, running as a Democrat made the most sense. Now, I'm mm. a person who I would prefer not to have a party system. And right. It would be a whole nother conversation. To how would we do that and that? And I, yeah, because that that's a whole like, I whole understand. Thing. Uh, But it just made more sense for me and my beliefs. Being a Marine, there were things that I think a normal Democrat wouldn't say that they're for. I'm obviously very knowledgeable when it comes to weapons and Mm -hmm. um, guns. And I think there's very reasonable ways to do that. But specifically, Indiana, we had to better address our public education system and our infant and maternal mortality rate. And our Republicans aren't doing that. And our Republicans aren't taking care of veterans. So running Democrat made the the most sense. Yeah, that makes total sense. I hate the boxes that put you in, right? I'm registered as a Democrat in Connecticut, but that's because I wanted to vote in the primaries. Um, unfortunately, they declared Joe Biden the winner before I got here and I was not voting for him. <laughs> 
um, in the primaries, I eventually voted for him at, at, overall um, because the the other option was just not an option for me. <laughs> um, but I'm like you. There's I I do have some more conservative views on certain things like guns. Um, but then I have a lot of progressive views as well for many other things. Um, so I hate the little check boxes, right? Um, I never vote for a single party on my voter roll. I, I, I voted for different ones. I feel like if you're doing a really good job in, in, in your role, I should not vote against you just because you are not the party like Agreed. that I voted for, right? So I had both Republicans and Democrats that I voted for. Um, like I said, I've gotten for more familiar with politics. So especially my local politics. So like we had several Republicans that are in office here. I feel like they're doing a really good job. Why should I not vote for them when I voted for a Democratic president? Um, so I really don't like the check boxes because like people like to say, oh, if you're a Democrat, you're this, you're a Republican, that's this. And I'm like, no, I actually, believe like different things like I'm more conservative when it comes to guns even though I think we need better gun regulations um you know some states you can literally just walk into the store and like walk back out <laughs> that baffles me um but I also am not one of those people like take away guns like I'm not you know uh, we own a weapon. Our my husband is well trained in them, um, and I was brought up around guns. I lived in uh, northern New York, uh, Canada adjacent. There was a lot of hunting that went on. My dad had guns. He taught me as a young child how to handle them, how to clean them, when you shoot, when you point, like all the things, which I feel like is sorely missing right now like people should have to take a gun safety course on their gun because too many um gun owners don't know how to use their weapon or when they should use their weapon or even how to clean their weapon <laughs> or <I> store <laughs> it or anything so like you know and that i'm i'm more conservative so i i, I hate back to what you said i hate the little check boxes that you have to check because i feel like i don't fall into like one specific checkbox. And even when it comes to one checkbox, like say the Democratic Party, you have the more moderate de Democrats and then you have the progressive Democrats. There's such a difference between their views. It, it's just kind of wild. Yeah. And I also personally, I didn't want to run a campaign how I've seen politicians run campaigns. My whole campaign was about making change happen now. And yes, did I want to win as state senator? But I wanted to make an impact and I wanted to make sure that everything I did had a reason behind it. It wasn't, I'm just going to do this many mailers and throw it to the wind and hope that I contact this many people. I'm not just going to go to these events because I know that the media will be there. Instead, I was very much about what can I do in this role right now? Because if I don't win, I'm still going to continue these things. And as well as having those hard conversations, I think having this two-party system predominantly, you're able to avoid those hard conversations. Now, the pandemic really changed things. I don't think that over the internet is the place to have hard conversations because you can't right. have a real conversation. Um, I did a lot of Facebook Lives kind of on controversial topics and would invite people on and would try and converse through things. Um, but that's what I really wanted to kind of bring to it. I wanted to bring a transparency. I wanted to show them that it's, again, it's not, it, we got to take the politics out of it and instead get the problems and 
and how do we solve them? And I think that that was something that really resonated in my district uh, and across kind of anybody I've talked to really and can have a conversation with, that's what they're hoping for. And I think the more local you can get, the, the better you are to actually addressing issues. I think that's where real change happens is on the hyper-local level. Yeah, I feel like sometimes, or a lot of times, these politicians have been in way too long that they're so disconnected with what the real people need. And to them, they're just faceless, like faceless masses of people. And they don't really connect with um, certain people. Again, back to my Senator Chris Murphy, a huge fan. Um, he, when you watch him on the Senate floor, will bring up real people. This is a person in my district that is suffering because of this. And I feel like when you do that, you have a, you're more likely to make um, decisions that directly um, help your district versus when you don't put a face to what's going on. Um, and I feel like that's what you're saying is that you tried to put a face to these, what your district, who was suffering. Yes. And I also didn't want to agree with everything because I don't, and I'm not going to pretend like I do. And that was something that was very big to me, no matter what audience I was talking to, I wasn't going to say what they wanted to hear just to say what they wanted to hear in the moment. Um, And kind of after the campaign, I've had a few friends who not heated debates, but you know, Facebook conversations and they're like, Oh, well, don't be, don't be this way to me. I voted for you. I was like, well, thanks for the vote, but I'm never going to do anything besides my actions to earn your vote. And if you think that I'm going to act a certain way or not say something just to earn your vote, you obviously don't know me well enough because that's Blunt Bartley just doesn't do that. (laughs) Right. Um, And that's the kind of politicians we need. We're seeing that in a lot in the Senate right now where people are being punished for being like, no, this is my belief. Uh, For example, Liz Cheney. Um, She voted to impeach Trump. And now it seems like a lot of Republicans are pushing back on her and they're trying to um, they're trying to punish her for that. Like they even took a vote on whether they should remove her from things, which is wild to me. But she was like, this is my belief. I believe this happened. And even if it's unpopular for my um, my political affiliation, this is my belief. And I feel like we need more politicians that are like this, like, no, this is my belief. I don't care what party I'm affiliated with. I'm going to stick by my beliefs because too many times politicians give us these empty promises because they think that's what you want to hear because that's what their party runs on. Instead of being like, no, I'm, I'm a, a variety of things. There's a spectrum of beliefs for me. Yeah. And I think, you know, too, and it's something with like, growing up that I do think that there are a lot of gray areas to things, but people Mm -hmm. have to have their set morals and ethics. And can they change as they gain more knowledge? Yes. Yes, that is true. However, if somebody is constantly bouncing back and forth between ethical decisions, I just don't think that you're a great leader then. I mean, having the, the set ethics and moral compass to work off of, if you can't do that basic thing, then I don't think your constituents can have actual faith in you. I don't think that you can actually serve them how they need to be served. So why do you think that you didn't win in 2020? Uh, I think one one big thing was COVID. Um, Me personally, I knew that I was going to be able to have those kneecap to kneecap super hard conversations with people who were Republicans or people who viewed things that way or more conservative. And I was going to go to every event, create every town hall I could. And 
with COVID that just wasn't possible. There were very few physical events and with the climate, again, it's very hard to have actual conversations with people over the internet. I did a lot of Zooms. I did a lot of that and we we're able to get a large number of supporters who spanned all different from Republicans to independent to people who had literally said they'd never voted before and went just to vote for me. And so if I had able to get more of a physical presence to have those hard conversations, I think that would have helped. Um, but there was a ton of straight ticket voting as we've kind of never seen before yeah. the level of straight ticket voting. Uh, and as you had mentioned before, I've never been somebody who's been a straight ticket voter. And so that was something that personally it kind of bothered me because I was just like, you're just checking a box. You're not right. even considering what you're facing as a Hoosier or what your fellow Hoosiers are facing and what these hyper-local issues are. And it was, it was a little disheartening. Um, I will say that I thought it was going to be a little closer than it was. My presence social media wise and just in general was, was very high and I was getting a lot of feedback and not a lot of, luckily I ran against an opponent who was very like, we didn't worry about what each other was doing, which is the ideal way, I think, and the way it needs to be ran. Besides, right. if he's elected saying what he voted or voted against, that was the most that I my campaign talked about him um, and he didn't talk about me. And so that was the beauty of our two campaigns is it was not a a nasty campaign, which most people can't say that when they run for office. Um, right. And so that was one thing. But there wasn't a lot of things that people could say about our state senator or even knew who our state senator was. Mm -hmm. And so when I'm going out and people don't even know who their state senator is and yet he wins, to me, you know, there's just an issue and a, a flaw in the system in regards to that. Um, and so that's that's why I think, I think that I plan on running again. Um, and I'm kind of just focusing the next few years on how I'm gonna impact the veteran community. That's why I decided to run. Uh, that's where I kind of have my foot right now. So I'm very much focusing in that aspect the next, you know, two years. And then I will start campaigning sooner than I did this year because it was a last minute decision. Yeah, that makes total sense. And I feel like there's so many uninformed voters. It drives, and I was one of those people, okay, like four years ago, well, over four years ago, I was a very uninformed voter. I actually didn't um, get interested in politics until I started to see what Trump was doing. And I was blown away <laughs> that he was even a nominee. <laughs> um, and then watched everything progress over the last four years. And that got me more and more interested. And I feel like a lot of people are the way I was, very uninformed, just kind of voted for whoever everybody else they know is voting for, um, their friend who they think is really intelligent is voting for, uh, <laughs> I do remember, I, I've always been one of those people that wasn't a set um, party, and I know this because I remember wanting to vote for Obama, uh, even though my ex and his mom and everybody were Republicans, and his mom told me she thought that he was <laughs> the Antichrist. Oh, God. <laughs> and she wouldn't bring me, so I didn't have a car at the time, and she wouldn't bring me to vote because she didn't want me voting for the Antichrist. So this is like, I've always been one of those people that like, it was not a specific party. And I kind of thought like at moments in time thought for myself, but I wasn't super informed until the last four years. 
I feel like a lot of people are like that, right? They just think like, well, my parents were Republicans, so I'm going to vote Republican or my parents were Democrats. So I'm going to vote Democrat or my friends or my, you know, whoever, instead of being like, what are the issues that are important to me and who most aligns with that? And, and that was me. Cause when people are this year, last year, were like, you're not voting for Trump because you hate him. I'm like, that's only one piece of the puzzle. I actually, <laughs> I actually don't agree with a lot of his policies and a lot of the, like his, uh, the things he wants to implement. I was like, it's not just cause I hate him. <laughs> There's more to it. And I feel like we need more voters like that, that are like, what are your policies versus your opponent's policies? And and I really respect that you guys didn't get nasty and like start, you know, bringing up things that were not relevant to you, you know, but you needed that, like, which one of these people most align with what I want? Never going to hundred percent agree with any politician. Never has there been a politician where I'm like, yes, I absolutely agree with everything you say, but I try to pick the one that I most align with and that I most agree with. And I think, especially for Indiana, you look at the issues that we've been facing as a state. I mean, we are third in the nation when it comes to maternal mortality rate, third in the nation and seventh in the nation when it comes to infant mortality rates. And this is something that has been ongoing. This is it. These are improved numbers. Okay. These are improved numbers. Oh my God. And we continually vote in people who do nothing about it or who say that, you know, they're, they're pro something or pro whatever, yet they take no actions to actually address issues we are facing that are state issues that we could have solutions at the state level um, and so that was super baffling to me. And I, I remember one of the roundtables I was able to do was here in White County, and it was a veteran roundtable. And I wanted to bring up, you know, my, my three main things that I was advocating for that I knew in four years that I could make an impact on these three things. And when I brought up the infant and maternal mortality rate in a room that was majority males um, and, and older males, they, they gasped. They said, what, that's our number? And I was like, yes, and White County doesn't have an OBGYN. White County doesn't have any sort of a, um, you know, women's health or anything like that. So me, I was pregnant, I was running for office. I had to travel 45 minutes to see wow. my OBGYN to deliver my child. And so when you don't even know these type of things that your neighbor could be suffering this or somebody you know that they have to travel this far or this and that, it then becomes personal. And I, I just from that conversation and my solution, I had so many people who voted something else on the ticket and said that I was the only Democrat they voted for, the first Democrat they ever voted for, because there's, again, easy solutions. For me, it was, okay, the first step is have a statewide doula database. And from there, we need to get clinics or have doulas and midwives more accessible. So at the mm -hmm. very least, we have that. At the very least, I get, you know, hospitals and having more delivery wards, that's that's a whole nother level, but there are very easy, low cost solutions that as a state we're not taking. And I believe it's because it's majority of men in our state house, people who don't experience it. Um, and so it doesn't really matter to them. Same with disabilities. You know, I'm somebody who first year when I got out, it was a struggle. I didn't know how I was going to stand. I didn't know how I was going to have to walk across campus. I didn't know how I was going to tell my civilian employer that I could and couldn't do these things either. 
And so for me, it was very important to be vocal about my struggles as I was going through the campaign and what I was still fighting for myself so that they understood that it was personal to me and it wasn't something that I was just going to ignore or not address. Right. Yeah. I I feel like a a lot of people aren't even aware. A lot of politicians aren't even aware what, what is going on in their state because they're so removed. Like you said, they're, they're a bunch of men. Like, how do they know what kind of struggles a woman has? And if you're 45 minutes away from your OBGYN, what happens if you have a pregnancy related emergency that you need taken care of and you don't have 45 minutes to go, right? Um, I delivered my oldest daughter uh, 45 minutes from my house, but there was a local hospital that if there was an emergent, I could have went to. It's just that my OBGYN predominantly delivered in another hospital because they didn't like him very much in the hospital near me because he advocated for doulas and midwives. He encouraged women if they wanted to use that, yes, please do. And I guess the hospital didn't like that very much because money-wise it was not profitable for them. Um, So I had that option, right? Even though I lived in rural Northern New York, I had that option. Uh, But yeah, no woman should have to drive 45 minutes, an hour, hour plus to go and get prenatal care, postnatal care, all of those things. Some women don't have the transportation to go that far. Yeah. And that's what my husband and I talked about. We were just like the transportation alone. And then you look at Indiana weather, like today you couldn't, you couldn't drive unless you had four wheel drive. And these are things again, that are directly impacting why our infant and maternal mortality rate is so high. These are direct impacts and here are easy solutions. And instead, like, you know, our current legislator, like this year, like one of the things that they brought up was lemonade stands. I'm sorry. I'm, I'm sorry. We're in the middle of a pandemic. There are just actual things that need done and it's not being done. And then, you know, another thing is tacking things on at the end of bills. Yes. And so my state likes to pretend that they are super pro-military and they really support veterans. There is a current bill up trying to get um, like you to be able to cut hair and do all sorts of like all the cosmetology and aesthetics without a license. Okay, chemicals and all of this stuff. And on the end of it, they tacked on that they're also going to take away. So currently in Indiana, veterans don't have to have a license to sell goods and some other things. And so at the end of this bill, that's predominantly involves female, right? That's a female driven industry. They've then tacked on this small bit about veterans that has nothing to do with it. And they tacked it on because in their assumption, and maybe this is me thinking it, in their assumption, you know, females aren't veterans, so they're not going to look at this bill anyway. So we'll be able to get it passed. And those type of hypocritical backdoor things were just, they just drove me crazy. And they're why I will probably continue to run for office until I can get in there. Um, And it's, again, it's not to make friends. I don't have time to make friends. Do we need to have these hard conversations and be able to work together? Yes, but we have to start addressing actual issues, not lemonade stands and should kids be taught cursive handwriting in the middle of a pandemic? That's just not where our focus should be. Right. This is not the time when we're in a raging pandemic. And I agree with you. You see this a lot in government all over, right? That they like to tack things that aren't related onto bills. And we saw that with pandemic relief. That's why they argued for six months 
over the the second pandemic relief because both sides were trying to tack on this shit that's not related, not directly related to a pandemic. And in I see that as we're doing this so that we don't have to actually solve the problems. That's that's how I see it. And mm-hmm. and again, this is an issue on on both sides. This right. isn't a one-sided thing. Um, and I knew running for office that people maybe on both sides weren't going to like me because I was going to call it out on both sides and the issues that I saw, because that's what we have to do. If you love something so much that you want it to be better, then you have to address what the issues are. And a lot of those things, that's how I saw it was instead of addressing what our actual needs are, we're going to have all this fluff and other things. So we don't have to actually fix the problem or so that we don't have to actually put in the work or put in the money whatever it may be. And that was something that really drove me crazy. I think a lot of people are clueless about how much is done at the state level. Um, And I think it was kind of a shock to people when the pandemic hit and states were being left to their own devices to, to make these decisions that they're like, why is Connecticut doing this, but Florida is doing that. Um, And not realizing so many decisions are made at the state level that they only focus on like, what is the Senate doing? Because that's what's in the news anyways, most of the time, like the the federal Senate, not the state Senate. And we need to realize so many um, so many laws that impact and so many policies that impact us directly come from our state legislatures not as much from the federal, like the state. I mean, just think about Virginia just legalized marijuana. It's going to be legal 2024, but that's not a federal thing. That's one state. So these are decisions like that, um, or more serious decisions (laughs) than marijuana, but like that are happening, our education, like you said, um, healthcare, um, because that varies too. Like there's a federal minimum, but each state has different healthcare systems. Um, all these decisions that need to be made on a state level, especially education, especially right now, you know, that we need to be aware of and pay attention to. And that was a lot of times kind of how I opened the door with people was whether whatever side they were on, I would, and they would want to talk federal, right? And I'd have to get them off of that so we could have an actual conversation about state because me as a state senator, there was nothing I could do to impact federal. That, that right. was not my role. And instead of making them feel dumb for their lack of knowledge, because they're not dumb, they're just not informed. It was, I would bring something up federal or, okay, what exactly has the president done for you? Or what exactly has changed in the last four years for you? For people who nothing had, or it had, um, or what state level had changed, I would ask them kind of those driving, motivating questions so that we then could have an open conversation about, okay, well, this is actually handled at the state level or this could be handled at the state level. And so for me running for office at that, those conversations, you know, I wasn't advocating for any president. I was advocating for myself to better serve them. And so I wanted to get past that conversation because it was very much the conversation of Trump against whoever, depending on where we were at in the the election timeframe. And that again, that wasn't my goal. That wasn't my role. I was trying to give them the information about myself and my campaign and what could be done locally in District 7 and in Indiana as a whole. Because if you do become a state senator, you impact the whole state that you're serving. It's not just your district, the things that you're able to pass. And so that why it, that's why it was important to me to talk about those hyper-local things. 
No, exactly. So before we wrap up the podcast, how would somebody, if they're listening, if they want to get involved in politics, how does that look? How do you even get started? (laughs) To me, it's like, oh my God, do you need all this money? Like, How does this work? So, yeah. So there's a lot of different ways um, that you can get started. And once the podcast is posted, I can post some of those links as well. Um, The easiest route is if you know kind of what party you want to be involved in, finding your county level party and getting involved from there and then seeing if you can be a part of a campaign and use whatever assets you're strong with to help that campaign. Or if there's a specific individual, you know, again, doesn't matter the party that you believe in, then see if you can volunteer for their campaign so you can see what a campaign looks like. I had never seen a campaign and I was never involved in politics before, which, you know, there were some people that oh, you got to pay your dues. You've got to do whatever before you run for a state Senate position. And I personally don't believe that. I think that you need to kind of self-evaluate what you're good at. And then if running for office is something you feel like you would do, then look at the positions that you think your leadership strengths fit the most. Maybe that's school board. Maybe it's for your mayor. Maybe it's just for a county councilman. There's a lot of different roles that utilize different assets. And so I think that's kind of the first step is self-evaluating. And then there are a ton of programs out there from, um, there's a veteran nonprofit that is a nonpartisan that they get veterans involved in politics and they teach them the ropes that's free. You have to apply for it. There are different different organizations that do the same thing. Um, in Indiana, we have 25 women for 2020 who look predominantly for females to run for office because we don't have very many females running for office. And um, it yes, does it cost money, but I didn't raise anywhere near the money that people expect in a campaign and was able to make a huge impact. So sometimes again it's using your skills and your assets and and volunteers to make it happen and if you want to make a difference it is a great way to it's a great way to make a difference so as i personally i have this friend on facebook that's always like megan for 2024 i'm like i'm not there yet i'm not there i don't know if i'll ever be there but please stop She's like president 2040. And I'm like, you know, I'm pretty sure they don't let people with bipolar disorder run for president, but okay. So you said that you had some mental disabilities. Was that like mental health um, disabilities? And was that brought, like, was that like an issue for you? Uh, it wasn't an issue because I was extremely vocal about it. So I was diagnosed okay. with PTSD. And from that, I have anxiety and depression And so I was extremely vocal about it. I uh, hosted different, you know, changing the perceptions of what it means to have mental health. I did uh, a big segment on PTSD in the civilian sector and kind of our perceptions. Um, There was actually another candidate who ran for office who had PTSD, was never in the military. She had PTSD from having a brain aneurysm. And so trying to change that stigma of what PTSD was, as well as anxiety, um, and my depression and how that affected me, which was different. And then the treatments and mm-hmm. knowing that as we get more vocal about it and we start to change the perceptions, I, I didn't have any negative feedback or any questionings on my ability, but I also didn't allow for it. If that makes sense, I portrayed totally myself very much of that's great, but I've had these things for years and didn't know I even had it in the Marine Corps type thing. And right. 
getting treatment, I know how, what we need to do to be able to get treatment. And so it was really important for me to be vocal about that because there are so many people who feel like they can't talk about it or feel like Mm -hmm. it's a negative or that it is a disqualifier. And I don't think it is. Um, And when I was bringing up cannabis, I I did a segment with um, Indiana Normal, which is they're huge cannabis advocates and they're trying to get cannabis first medicinally uh, legalized in Indiana. And they brought up, you know, um, weapons. And if I felt like somebody with mental health disabilities, if they shouldn't have weapons. And I said, well, heck no, Um, I have PTSD and anxiety and I fully can handle weapons and have no issues. um, And don't think that that should be an automatic disqualification disqualifier. So I don't think just because somebody has a a mental health disability that it's a disqualifier automatically for, for anything by, by any means. It's the same with, if you have a physical disability, what accommodations do we need to make that are reasonable accommodations so that somebody can function? Right. I mean, we're not very good at that either though. So that's not the best example because we're not good at that either. But that was why I wanted to be so, so vocal about it, as well as my, my physical disabilities. I mean, I had multiple organs falling out of my body. I've had multiple hip surgeries. Um, and I wanted that to be something that maybe somebody else couldn't talk about it, but they could see somebody going through it and that they could accomplish these things and that they didn't always have negative comments. I mean, the most negative comments I got where people would again make a lot of comments on my gender or show up on my Facebook lives like oh you look so beautiful when I'm talking about you know women dying and after childbirth um or children dying and they want to comment on how I look that was something that I very much then would stop what I was doing and say thanks very much but this is not the time and place so I honestly had more issues addressing that and being a woman and my appearance than my mental health struggles. That is so relieving. And I, and I'm a huge mental health advocate, not just because I have my own mental health uh, struggles, but also because I feel like the more we talk about it, the more we normalize it. A lot of people will be like, Oh, I would have never thought you were bipolar. You look so normal. <laughs> and I was like, thanks. thanks. Right. But I'm not sure that's, <laughs> That's quite the way you should put it. Um, and I'm like, cause you don't see the struggles that I go through. Um, and I've been, I, I got my diagnosis two years ago. I was misdiagnosed for many, many, like over a decade. Um, but I got my, my bipolar diagnosis two years ago and I'm on medication. I'm in therapy. I'm like, that's why I'm so functional. But um, I think a lot of people don't see that. And so we're normalizing it. Um, but the time goes by really quick. As we wrap up the podcast, what is something you'd like to leave the Inspired Women audience with? I, I think the biggest thing, and this is so corny, I'm a huge um, Boy Meets World fan and kind of my life Same. philosophy is, is go out and do good, right? Mr. Feeney's like, go out and do good. And Topanga's like, you mean do well, right, Mr. Feeney? And he's like, no, do good. And so that's kind of how I live my life. I think if we all did that, do good and utilize what you're good at to do good. The things that you're good at, utilize that in your community or for the people around you and just do good. Well, thank you so much for coming on the podcast today. Thank you for having me. Thank you for being a part of the Inspired Women audience. If you enjoyed this episode, please leave us a rating review. And don't forget to share this out with somebody who could use some inspiration today. Tag us at Inspired Women Podcast, both on Facebook and Instagram. Have a great day.